This is People Unboxed from ADP. Hello and welcome to the fourth and final episode of People Unboxed. I'm Penny Haslam and in this series we're discussing a key challenge for modern businesses. Engagement. Recent research from Gallup highlights the issue, saying only 15% of employees worldwide say that they're engaged at work. This statistic really captured our interest, so much so that we commissioned our own research to find out both why engagement is so low and what it would take to get people excited about going to work. And that research led us here to this podcast. So we're going to discuss the results of that research and hopefully find some straightforward solutions and strategies to make us, our colleagues and our workforce happier. And of course, we get that from a good work-life balance, don't we, everybody? We're joined by Jackie Mann, the founder of J Mann Associates and author of Recruit, Inspire and Retain. Jackie, do you have good work-life balance? Yes, I do. I didn't used to have a very good work-life balance. But last year, um, I had a a personal um, incident, should we say, uh, which made me really reassess my whole life. um, And I took up mindfulness. And I actually um, now only work four days a week. So I don't work Fridays. And my work-life balance has improved massively. And the best thing is, I'm much more productive at work. Are you richer and happier? Much, much. I wouldn't about richer, yeah. but definitely happier. Richer with happiness, yes. good. Yeah. Excellent. Perry Timms is the founder of PTHR and author of Transformational HR. Perry, you must come across a lot of people who don't have good work-life balance, but what about you? Do you feel like you've got that mix well? I think if you were to ask people who know me, they would say that I'm always on and I'm always working. But um, I'm in that bizarre situation where there isn't that much of a distinction between my work and my life. They're two very interwoven things. So when I read books, I'm reading them. They look like workbooks, but they're just because I'm interested in psychology in the workplace. Um, So uh, I wouldn't say I've got a balance. I've got an integration. Um, and uh, do I feel good about it? Yeah, because I'm obsessed about what I do. So um, it drives me to being who I am. Okay, and we're joined also by Jeff Phipps, ADP's UK General Manager. A busy role. Are you balanced in your work and life? I think my experience is very similar to Perry's. I don't really uh, quite get the concept of work-life balance. I feel, you know, do I do I feel like I'm in, I have an enjoyable life? Do I feel like I'm motivated to get up in the morning? And and the the lines are so blurred. It, you know, exactly the same experience of. If you're reading something very often, the the benefits of that can be uh, can happen in work and and in life. And so, I, you know, which which side of the line does it fall? So I, I feel my experience is very much like Perry's. And Annabelle Jones, the UK HRD at ADP. And Annabelle, you must have to have a work life balance that looks good and feels good as you are the emblem of HR. Is that the case? Um, I have to work at it. Um, it you know, I have to be disciplined with myself because I could work a lot more hours than I do but I have a six-year-old daughter and I have a life and um, I have a hobby um, which is I used to say I didn't have time to run but I've managed to find the time to run Um, so it's it's difficult um, and I have to be disciplined and I have to make sure I don't log on every evening um, and that I do switch off Um, so I do and um, Certainly one thing I advocate with my team um, and I try and be the role model for them is that they shouldn't be working um, in the evenings and at weekends. Um, Why not? Why shouldn't they be working in the evenings and weekends if they well, love what they do? If they if they need to from time to time, that's fine, but it shouldn't be getting in the way and it shouldn't be impacting their lives um, and their health and their, their family lives. So it's about getting the balance. Um, so work-life balance. It's a, it, you know, it, Yes, from time to time you need to put in that little bit of extra time to catch up or get something completed, but it shouldn't be the norm. So what does the research tell us from ADP about what people want and what people actually have? Is there a difference there or are there any striking figures that jump out at you? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting to see that, um, you know, that, that three quarters of the respondents um, to the survey said that they like to keep their work and home life separate. So um, Perry wouldn't fit in there, would he? <laughs> no, so well, yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeff would have an issue with that as well. I think it's, um, you know, I think I, I, 
I think when you think about the average employee, that makes sense. Um, I think they, they like to be able to keep some distinction between the two. Maybe it's because of the roles that we do and the the, the level that we're working at where there is more of a blend. Um, I was going to say, is it something that's just afforded by entrepreneurs and business owners and people at a certain level within an organisation? that They just got to a point where they really, really love what they're doing and it is them. You know, you cut them through the middle of, and it's like a stick of rock. Work, work, work. And is that okay? I don't know if it's okay. I think that's something that uh, others get to judge. <laughs> um, I, I think that obviously some time to reflect, et cetera. But what I can say is that uh, I feel that I'm doing a good job. I feel that I've got a, a great relationship with my wife and a, and a great relationship with my kids. And, you know, I'm not someone who has dozens and dozens of friends, but I've got some really great friendships and some people that um, are hugely important to me in my life and I feel that we get to have some good experiences as well so you know we, we get some great life experiences get to go on holiday um, get to spend time with people I enjoy spending time with and I find the job is fulfilling so when I think about when I reflect on those things it it feels to me like that's not a bad position to be in yeah, and I think I'll, I'll back back that up from my perspective. So um, I, I have hobbies. I do things that don't look like work and don't sound like work. It's just that I don't feel like I've got an on-off switch between them. So there's genuinely a kind of flow of what I'm interested in and what I'm obsessed about and how I spend that time. Um, so there have been times, though, when I've been in a working environment, when I when I had a, a job and, and a you know kind of boss, and they were a little bit on the oppressive side, and it felt like it was the wrong kind of balance, not because of the hours, it was how it felt to me. Yet I've worked with bosses who haven't been like that, and, I, and have left me to kind of fill uh, the space that I have, and, it, and it's felt totally different because it feels like I'm in control of choosing when and how I work. So I think work-life balance can feel sometimes like it's a challenge when it's out of your control to create the balance. Interesting. Jackie, would you agree with that? Yeah, I do agree with that, actually. It's all about having that choice and being aware of what you're actually doing um, and, and enjoying what you want to do when you want to do it. You know, I, I like reading, I love my books, and I, I am always thinking about my business. But I know how to switch off and I know how important it is to actually switch off and give time to your family, um, you know, and, and enjoy the moment. And I definitely know, you know, in, in the past, um, I used to come home from work and I would share the stresses and strains of the day. And, and um, you know, there is a need to do that. And, you know, talking to an audience of HR professionals, it can be quite intense. You can be dealing with some quite tough conversations on a day to day basis. You do need somewhere to take that home and, and have that release. But you don't want it to drag you down when you get home either. You need to sort of get that balance again, get it off your chest, um, have that sounding board that you can have at home. But don't let it keep you awake at night it's an interesting two-way street isn't it because we often think about having to take work home with us which people don't enjoy if it's enforced upon them and we're all being asked to do more with less all of the time um but it's when home or life gets into work but we're all encouraged to bring ourselves to work a little bit more and be more personable and more authentic and real and human oh it's a tricky line for some people to walk isn't it yes it is but I don't think we can move away from the fact that we're human beings that, and we have this these things that are going on at work that could affect our personal life and the other way around. I think uh, I was in the in the research. I think it was you know around fifty percent of people were saying that if they have um, something going on in their personal life, it affects their work life. So it, it's clear that that's happening, and I don't think that that comes as a surprise to us uh, that's going on. But I think for me, it's quite important as well because if you have someone in the workplace that's got a a major issue in their personal life and you know I can think about things that are happening that I know of right now which are around um, major uh, major health issues not necessarily with them but with someone else in their life so they they may be uh, undertaking a role as a carer for example if you're judging that person's performance based on that firstly you you're being you're not you're doing them a disservice 
And secondly, you're not recognizing that there's some support that they may need that you you really are, I think, if you're a good employer, obliged to, to provide for them and help them to get them through that. So if you don't know about those things, um, you're only, in, in essence, making the problem worse for somebody. Mm, absolutely. Um, it's interesting. I think we need to tackle technology in all of this, though, don't we? Because you know, there was a time where you could go to work and go home and that would be the sep- it'd be so easy to separate it. What are the challenges with technology and how do you personally overcome any of those? I know that I often leave my phone in my home office and close the door until, you know, such times I need it. But I, don't, I don't have it on my person because there's a temptation there. Mm-hmm. I, I switch mine off. I can off switch mine off. Yeah, I can switch it off. You've done yeah. a Simon Cowell and just yeah. digital I mean, detox. But, yeah. you know, I switch it off at night. You know, at one time I used to take it to bed just in case there was something yeah. came through in the night and... You know, not that I could see it anyway. When I when I tried to read it, I couldn't see it without my glasses. Um, but I, you know, I I used to switch switch it off now. I I don't um, check my emails constantly because there are other ways. You know, you can. You know, years ago, people would just not be able to get in touch with you. And I think we've forgotten what that's like, you know, being on the end of the phone constantly. Whenever you go out anywhere, somebody's always trying to get hold of you, you know, but they're not. They didn't used to. I mean, before, you used to have to wait, didn't you? you and is it you know? because they could get hold of you that they tried to get hold of you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, it, and is it really urgent? Is it really something that can, can wait, you know, or does it have to be done? You know, I always say to, to my team, you know, it's somebody about to die. If somebody's not about to die, then it's not urgent, you know. So <laughs> it, can, it can be, you know, it can be dealt with tomorrow. You don't need to stay late and finish that. What's going to happen to it? Is there going to be anybody at the other end of the, the email waiting for it to arrive? No, just go home. So, Perry, this must be a tricky question for you, because on the one hand, you encourage digital social connections. Yep. On the other hand, you can't be switched on all the time. No. Is that so, what you want? So... Like I, I do have a genuine um, concern about having to have a digital detox, but I understand why it's there. So I, rather than switching devices off and, and doing a Simon Cowell, I think we just need to get better at them. Um, what I think happens is the device becomes demonised, but actually what's what's going on is you want to be connected to people and things. The device just happens to be the portal that, that makes that happen. So I think back to when mobile phones first came in and they would, they would ring all the time because that's how people got hold of you now if anybody rings me that's a rare occurrence so I get a gentler message flow that I can say I'm not going to deal with that now or I'm not even going to look at it now so there's something about can we get better at it yes and if, if a detox is how you start to do that then great but I think it's inevitable that technology is increasingly how we interact with the world and it isn't going away unless you want to create some kind of alternative lifestyle community and live in an eco village somewhere what about the expectation of usage then? Is it expected that, you know, if you're the kind of boss who sends a 3am email, are you should you be the kind of employee who answers it at 301? There's a couple of things there. I think there seems to uh, recently be an obsession in the media about what we should or shouldn't do with our phones. And um, we've got to be adults and we've got to be grown up about this. It's like other things in our lives. If we, uh, if we eat the wrong things, we can expect to be unhealthy. If we behave the wrong way with our devices, we can expect that to have an impact. I also find it a little bit amusing that uh, for many, many years, people have gone home each night and sat in front of a TV for three or four hours. And no one said anything about what's this doing, about how this is killing uh, perhaps you know, family life and what if we were actually to sit and talk to each other again and heaven forbid. So I, I do feel that, you know, we've got to be careful here about, you know, there's a lot of distractions in our lives. And I do believe it's ultimately down to the individual to, you know, figure out what is right and best for them uh, and, and steer their own course. There's also a thing, I think I'm tapping into something that Perry's saying there, there's also a thing about the relationships and the expectations you set with particularly your co-workers. So I don't think it's okay to send an email at three o'clock in the morning, which is, you know, without thinking about the consequences of that for the person receiving it at the other end. Uh, So if you're going to say something saying, you know, complaining, um, you know, I I had personally, um, just a couple of nights ago, I had a uh, quite, quite strongly worded email from a, uh, from a customer that came through, it was probably about nine ten o'clock at night and you know I wasn't able to deal with it then and that actually made me feel quite frustrated because I knew in the morning I'd be able to deal with it and the language of the email 
made me feel like a lot, like a lot of these things, like I'd let the client down, which is not something that you want to do, but you feel quite helpless at that point in time. So I think there's there's a broader uh, thing that we need to think about there of, you know, even in that case, is it right for the client to think, hold on a second, there's a human being at the end of this. I'm sending him an email at eight, nine o'clock at night. You know, maybe I could just delay that till nine o'clock in the morning when he can do something about it because he clearly, you know, his team is not around. That's that's a bigger society conversation that that we maybe should have. So it's managing workflow, isn't it? And managing other people's um, standards of workflow that you don't have to adhere to or, or get into the groove of. Um, quite difficult when you are a junior employee, maybe you're being mm. asked to do more, um, which may be ebbing into your personal life. Where, where do you draw the line? How do you manage this, well, Annabelle? I, yeah, so I think... Uh, um, I've had experience with a CEO in the past who would send emails. His time, when he had downtime, was in between midnight and two o'clock in the morning. That's when he used to catch up on his emails. Um, it was took he a, a robot? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Possibly. But it took a while to realise that he didn't expect a reply. You know, so he... And, and I got that, but I had to feed back to him. So he actually asked me to do a, a 360 review for him and the feedback I was getting was it's really intimidating when we get an email from him and it, you sort of expected to reply immediately. And he was like, no, 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 I'm not expecting a reply immediately. I'm like, well, you need to tell people that. It, yes, it's your time and that's fine, but you're putting pressure on people that they expect to be online. Um, I am very conscious of not sending too many emails when I'm if I am working in the evening. I write them and I save them and I send them when I'm in the, in the morning. Um because I don't want to put that expectation on people. Um, and then the other dynamic that we deal with is we're a multinational company. Yes, so time emails zones. come through from the US out of hours. Um, actually, I have noticed in the last um, few years that our colleagues in the US are becoming much more aware of the time zone difference. So they will now actually say, you know, I realise this is a you know, there's a time zone difference here. When's a good time for us to connect? So they're much more mindful of the fact that we are, um, and same with meetings as well. They will arrange meetings. Um, they'll be more considerate to the time zones when arranging meetings. But that does add an interesting dynamic when you're working in a multinational company. And that's a very clear coming together of two cultures. Obviously, time zone is the issue. But when you bring together in other ways, teams and cultures. Some teams might be very good at work-life balance. Some others may enjoy not having a blend, a work-life blend. Absolutely. Uh, we, we've we seen ourselves, if you look at a, a sales organisation, for example, and contrast that with maybe an R&D organisation, there are very, very different cultures. One of them is running sort of very, very fast, and the other one is is not... It, it operates differently. I, don't, I hesitate to say slower because they are they're, they're taking things on board and they're working in a different way to achieve different outcomes and their pressures are different. So when you the ex and you just push those cultures together, if you don't think about the expectation setting at the outset, it, it echoes Annabelle's uh, comments there that you've got to be thinking about how that other culture operates. Do you understand it? Are you tapping into it? And are you have you got that? I guess it's almost like a social contract of how you interact with each other. Okay, so underpinning this is the kind of engagement idea that just 15% of employees are engaged. Does work-life balance, work-life blend have an influence on engagement? Um, so there's a, a company in California that is a case study quoted very often called Morningstar who have different divisions uh, of people who are the pickers and the canners and the washers and the marketers who contract with each other. And so what they're, what they're doing is they're saying we are going to set an expectation of how we interact with each other so that we can do things like manage work-life balance and workflow. Now, I don't see enough of that. So I think in the workplace, what we tend to have is I've got a ton of priorities. I've got to deal with them. Right, dealing with it might mean I've got to chuck it at somebody else to do the next bit, but I've just got to get rid of it from my stack. And, and now I think we're starting to realise how much pressure we are putting on other people by acting like sending emails at ridiculous times, by um, overbearing requests for return that's like instant and so on. So I think we're probably starting to see a different kind of etiquette, which is I don't want to be that kind of person who, who exerts pressure on people unnecessarily because I think we know the science now that that's not when we're at our best. When we're a bit frightened, we're less intelligent, we're less capable, we're less social, we're less open to helping other people. So now we 
know that. I think we can temper our behaviour. But that kind of feels like a conscious leap that you have to name, like the contracting with the tomato growing company. Um, so maybe we need to do that. We need to kind of have a contracting conversation with people about how we interact. Yeah, I, I think as well, uh, I think you may have mentioned it there, that there's people are often thinking from themselves and their perspective and not taking the time to reflect on what that other person's set of priorities are and we'll often there's a temptation to jump in with my three priorities are this or why are you not helping me why don't you understand these are my priorities and somehow seeing that as an attack on on yourself rather than saying what's going on in your world and one of the things I encourage people to do is to uh, to build their networks in the organization before they need them so that you're not going to somebody at the point you need something you've perhaps tried to spend a little bit of time beforehand understanding what goes on in your world your your department how can i help even so that you're you've 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 essentially got some um uh, some points that you can or some favors to rely on so it is really an exchange of you know of you know, a pro quo, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. If you try to have that debate without understanding the other person's perspective, I'm not surprised it ends with a lot of frustration. Okay, so we've established, though, that a bad work-life balance or a poor work-life balance has an impact on productivity and happiness and engagement. What do you do if you notice an employee or a a whole load of employees working too much, having a poor work-life balance? What's the action to take, Annabelle? I think noticing it is the key. Uh, so, sort of, yeah, leaders being um, in tune with that. And what are the alarm looking bells? The signs then? of it. Well, I think if they're working long hours, you're going to notice it because you're going to see um, either being in the office for a long time or sending the emails out of hours. Um, you're going to start hearing. You're going to start, and, and a good leader is going to be asking the questions: What's going on? Um, I think you know you'd expect then a leader is going to be looking at what's the underlying problem. What is causing this? Um, if it's from one particular individual, are they struggling with the work? Are they struggling with something outside of work? Um, and if it's a, a group of people, is it the culture we've set? Um, is uh, are they? Ex- do they have an expectation um, that they have to do these long hours? Is that, that is that the culture? So I think there's, it, it, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to leaders being tuned in to what's going on with their workforce. And then what do you do, Jackie? Well, I mean, I've seen um, lots of organisations where I've gone in to coach um, people around this sort of issue, but it's actually identifying the problem as to why they are there. And sometimes it's because they don't want to go home. It's not just about the work. It's the fact they don't want to go home because they haven't got anybody at home or with a lot of men. And this might sound a little bit sexist, but a lot of men, they don't want to be there when it's time for the bath time, bedtime for the children. I work for someone. I went, you work long hours. He went, I know I don't have to do the school run and I don't have to do bath time. And I thought, I don't really like you anymore. But actually, there is still quite a lot of people who will do that. You know, so and, you know, there's someone I know who there is only this person. He, you know, she's got nobody at home. So she's quite happy to stay in the workplace because it keeps her busy and uh, she can get lots done. But when is she well? There. Is she balanced? She is. is she okay yeah. with that? Because that's she cool, is. isn't it? If yeah. that's okay. It is, yeah. So I think sometimes it's not looking at it to say, actually, it's wrong if people are doing it, but they might have a good reason as to why they're doing it. What about if there is more at home? How do we get into those topics with individuals without feeling like we're intruding or asking difficult questions when you're noticing a work-life balance or stuff washing into the work that is from home? How do you offer support? I can think of some things, recent things. I think that uh, trust is, again, part of the relationship. If you're going to help someone, I believe if you help somebody when they're going through some difficulty at home, then then they, they will pay you back for that. That they'll recognise that you've done that, uh, and that you'll see it, see it come back. Uh, it doesn't always happen, though. I will say that there are some times when that can get abused, and you have to look at that over a period of time and ask yourself: Is this? Do we have a fair balance in in what's going on here? 
but more often than not, when you when you support people when they need that support, um, once they get through that that difficulty that that crisis in their lives, then uh, they 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 pay it back to you, and they're very grateful for it, and they consider it a reason why they will stay at an organisation because they feel that organisation has taken the time to understand them and support them. It can also have a, a different effect. I mean, we've had um, a client who had a, a member of staff who was going through a really difficult time, um, and the GP had recommended counselling, and, and the list was just like you know waiting list was horrendous. And the client said that they would they would pay for it. You know, now they're not a huge company, but they would pay. They paid to for this person to go and have the counselling. But the the effect that that had on the value he's placed on the company, but also looking at it from a different side, from a business perspective, um, he didn't then go off sick, um, which again would have been another issue. So you know, he would have been off sick, whereas this time he was able to stay at work through the counselling. Um, and he really appreciated that. But sometimes it can be hard. You say if there's not the trust there, people don't want to open up and tell you and you, you can't force them to do that um, if there is something going on at home. So I've done a little bit of research with a couple of companies who have very distinct cultures that help this. So so one is that the team is so closely um, aligned to knowing who was in the team, as in what are you all about, not just what your job and your responsibilities are, that, that it, people feel it's really safe to say, I'm having a really hard time at the minute with, and then the team will kind of close ranks and say, look, if you need some time out, we'll cover your work. And so that's dealt with in a non-managerial way, and that seems to work really well because there's no stigma attached to, I'm struggling a bit with some mental ill health or something, and uh, the, t- yeah. the team kind of rally round. And actually the research from ADP says that 34% say a bad day at work affects their personal Personal I can life. imagine. So, or, you know, a bad day in, with personal life affects, affects the performance. Yeah. So it's nice. It sounds great. Yeah. It's a lovely place to yeah. work. So so that, that's a tech company out in Mexico. So that's how they, they deal with that. Then the other one is a, a company in Michigan uh, who've got a very strong culture of going home on time. Right. So everybody knows that there is no long hours culture here. That's not healthy. That's not what we're all about. Uh, and so this company has deliberately kind of set out that as an agenda that's important to their people. So when they recruit, they don't get people who want long hours. They get people who know that come 530, that's when people log off and go home. So they've deliberately set that culture and people kind of come to it because that's part of what they want to be. So you can kind of do it two ways, almost conversational and friendly or systematically and culturally. So why can't we do that? Why can't we say- Send people home at 5, 5.30, knowing full well they're going to come back the next day refreshed and raring to go. Why can't we tell them, you don't, I need to do emails after a certain time? What's stopping us having a really great work-life balance? I think there are still some things. I don't know if this is an age thing. I've talked about a personal thing for me, which is that I um, I like to be able to leave work a little earlier on a Friday so that I can get home and so see the kids. Did you go at five o'clock as opposed to nine o'clock? You know, that, what's early for you, well, for, Jeff? Early for me would be sometime between four and five on a Friday. See, that's it a normal working day for right? a lot of people. Yeah. I bet you've been in from seven as well. And I'm generally in the office, you know, from about 7.30 to eight o'clock in the morning, right? So, um, and here's the thing, and I'm going to be, I'm going to admit to it. I feel a sense of guilt walking out of the office, Okay. And, you know, I guess I'm the managing director and it feels to me like, you know, are people looking at me going, oh, it's all right for him? Are they looking at me thinking, well, we've still got to work another hour, hour and a half? And um, and I've, I've, I've started to talk about this and started to say this is how I feel. And uh, it's become quite interesting because now when I do it, people joke and they go, oh, you're slacking off early again. But they're laughing as they do it. And so I think that that took me to open up to people in in my position and say, this is how I'm feeling. And I think that I don't know if it's a British thing. I don't know if it's a male thing. I don't know if it's an age thing. But I think there has been for years, there was certainly an expectation of work being a, at least a nine to a five thing, but also an expectation of, well, you needed to be seen to be there for long hours in order to demonstrate your commitment and how serious you were about your career. And we know that's not true. We know that you know that it's not about that it's about how how good you are while you're there and often if you do more hours you become less productive not more productive but i don't think we have enough of that conversation no and absolutely and if you're going to be saying to part-time people oh you're part-timer which is a, seen as a negative or you're slacking off or oh you're only in on wednesdays and thursdays and fridays it's not a good message to send is it but how do we change that how can we get more encouraging of 
leaving early, Jeff, 10 hour day is not really leaving early, is it? But and, and, and working flexibly. It's it is really difficult because it depends on I don't think we can generalize because I think it depends on the nature of the role. Um, so where we have people who are servicing clients and the clients are typically still doing a nine to five day, the expectation is you have people available from nine till five. Um, you know, I think it's sort of so there's the client work patterns need to change in order for us as a service business to be able to change to reflect that. And I think it, I think we will see that. I think we will start to see. In fact, I think I had a conversation just the other day with a client who's now wanting out of hours support. So, you know, how can we start to change our working patterns to match theirs? Work harder. Work no. hard, well, yes, exactly. <laughs> just work for more hours. Um, but I do think it's, I think it depends on the industry. I've then previously, I've worked in a creative industry where people are more creative at different times of the day. So don't try and force them to work from nine till five if actually they start to kick into life at four o'clock in the afternoon. So I don't think you can generalise because I think it does depend on the nature of the work that you're doing. Is this an issue sector to sector? So the legal sector, for example, are known to be incredibly hardworking, long hours, very tough, have to jump whenever the client says so, how high. Um, But other sectors that afford a bit more flexibility in creative areas... Is it challenging across the board, Jackie? I think it is. I think all the sectors have have got issues around, you know, whether it's the clients there. We do a lot of work in the day nursery sector. Um, You know, that's really long hours. Um, And you've also got Ofsted and their staff ratios that you have to have, which makes it really, really difficult for the nurseries to be able to deliver that service. But I think for sort of quite a few office-based roles um, and service providers, they need to be a bit more flexible on, you know, making, they want people to come into the office, which they don't necessarily, do they really have to be there? Can we have that flexibility where people are working from home? Um, I, I think there's a lot to be done around that people. It's the trust. It's building that trust to say, are you actually doing that job really? How do I know? And how do I log what you're doing? And I want to see a report. And it's getting over that so that there is that flexibility. So so maybe people, if they haven't got clients that they need to be on the phone to at a certain time, they should have that flexibility to do it at different times. Uh, I think the other factor we need to bring into account is job design. Okay, And this is HR's bailiwick you know, jurisdiction. We design jobs. So we say, here are the skills and the competencies. And, and actually, we also say, and here are the hours. So we often look at a day and go, how do we fill eight hours or whatever it is, right? So I think we're as guilty as anybody of not building in flexibility. So so who says you have to have five days a week for most jobs and roles? And you touched on the point of part-time earlier and that that becomes an exception, that we have to almost wrestle with that job to tear it apart to create some different version of it. And I've seen some different examples and, and, and ironically they're going to come in because they're from the tech industry where people come together and go, what do we need to do to get this job done? And they work out how to design the work and the hours that it takes to do that for that piece of work. And I'd like to see us do more of that. And there's a methodology called Sprint that's used by Google Ventures you start at 10 you finish at half five on a five day period intensely to build a product but equally they say but if your product's not that big and you can do it in three days do it differently and I'd just like to see us well you probably do another two days of some other kind of work but uh, if that's what you need to do but I'd just love to see us start from a, a default position of can we get the person involved a bit more in designing the job and then they can understand the flow of work and life they need uh, and, and, and it might sound like it's a, a recipe for chaos, but I don't know whether we do that enough. I work with a company who, um, you know, you're employed uh, for six months uh, full time and you are expected to work hard and whatever work life balance kind of give you, you know, you take it and work with it. And then after six months, you go down to four days, same salary. After, after a year, you go down to three days, same salary. Because the expectation is that by the time you've got into a year into your role, you know how to do it quicker and better and easier. And therefore, the time for reflection and processing makes you more of a valuable uh, individual when you come back for the three days when you're working. I mean, this woman who ran this company had to have the parents of employees coming in if they were younger to actually say it was okay and actually yeah we're, we're genuine in this it was so weird and different but my goodness she's got great retention rates so um jackie what would your view be on that would that sound like a, a wacky or wonderful thing no, to do? i think it sounds a great idea yeah i think i think we need to be much more open about different ways of working like well like perry was saying but i think we've got a long way to go because a lot of the managers 
um, you know, if we just take flexible working, for instance, you know, there can be um, somebody who wants to come back from maternity leave and wants to go part time and wants to do a, a job share. We get lots of people come back. And oh, no, it's not possible to do that as a job share. It's an admin job. It is. But the, they, their mindset is just not set around sharing that job because it's too much hard work and this is how we've always done it. Oh, there are dangers so, there. Yes, that, you know, that work might, not get, might done. not get done. Yes, I, it I, might not happen. And I think that expression, you know, it's always it's always been that way. I often say yeah. it's the most expensive um, phrase in business. And I think by, if the, you know, job shares have been around for years, but if we can't get those right, mm. I don't know how we're going to progress to, to the what you've talked about there, Penny. You know, I mean, that sounds a great idea, but I think it's got to be a really forward-thinking organisation because just to get job shares or even flexible working for some um, people well, is, six, is really difficult. 6% of yeah. jobs are advertised as being part-time, but we know a lot of people in top leadership positions actually work part-time or they dabble you know, on their day off and check emails and that sort of thing. And so it's possible. So, yeah, when are we going to change this culture then? How? I think there are some things there that are really difficult to shift. Uh, Annabelle talked about you know, the sort of client expectations, but I... When my kids were young, I made a really conscious decision to extend time in a role without looking for promotion because I wanted to work from home. And so that, quite frankly, I, I, I consciously went, do I want to have coffee breaks with work colleagues or do I want to go and see my you know, six-month-old kid and, and you know, play, play with my kids? And I have no regrets about that decision, even though I probably... Uh, delayed my progression by you know two or three years because of that but I felt that had I had I made that choice which to go into management at that point in time I would have been in the office would have been there long hours I wouldn't have been, probably wouldn't have been getting home to um to uh, to do the the baths as and the happy changing you know exactly even you know and um and I think I did my share my wife might argue differently but I think uh, I think sometimes you have to, there are jobs that are going to demand that you are going to be in the office. And I, I think that there we do have a challenge of career progression is associated with um, not just ability, but also with ambition. And ambition is often judged by, you know, forms of well, how do I judge someone's committed or not? Well, you know, are they here? <laughs> you know, and I think it was Warren Buffett that said, you know, working from home is great for your life, but not good for your career. But shouldn't we be judging people and valuing them on their output, not their input in terms of hours? And how do you get that changed and looking at actually you did a great project, you're part time and you've got great work life balance. Well done. Not, oh, part-timer. Yeah. I think, Jeff, though, we, what you said there was quite interesting because you said you stayed, you chose to stay back and so you could spend some time with the children. I wonder how that would have been perceived if you'd been female rather than the male doing that, whether that would have had any difference. You've said you held back on your promotion. Whether that would be seen differently if it was a woman doing that? Mm. I think it would be. I think it probably would. Yeah, I think it would have been. Oh, well, yeah, she would do that. It was... I think that would have made a massive difference. Yeah. I, I was quite interested to read recently about... Um, uh, Dame Helena Morrissey when she was working at Newton Financial and they offered up um, flexible working for everybody. It was a part of a, a cost-saving... Um, they, they said, yeah, everybody has the option to choose a four-day week. And, um, and, it, and, and quite a few of their male executives chose to take that option of the four-day week. And it was intended to be for a fixed period of time, but m many of them kept it going. They actually adapted their way of working. They enjoyed that day off. And the thing that's interesting to your point, Jackie, about whether it was for male or women, or men or women, because it was open to everybody, there was no stigma about who accepted it. And because it wasn't about flexibility for work-life balance, it was about helping the business. There was a different mindset. There was a seal of approval over yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And and actually, then you know, the, the fact that they then chose to continue to work in that um, in that fashion, they didn't go, they didn't opt to go back to the five-day week. Um, was interesting. I mean, we talk about work-life balance and there is a real demand from employees. 75% of employees like to keep their work and home lives separate. So if a good separation of work and life is going to engage more people to be more productive, then we should really be encouraging it. So what would your top tips be to engender good work-life balance? So I wonder whether we've got enough research on optimum human input in the workplace, right? So uh, we, we potentially could do with the advent of more technology that helps us understand how we 
are hitting peak levels of productivity. On the other side of that argument, though, we've, we're going to get intrusive technology that spies on us even more and creates a, a, you know, a modern version of Taylorism time and motion study. So you, we've got a really difficult decision point to, to affect in the future. But if we go back to the 1930s, John Maynard Keynes talking about life and leisure and all that kind of stuff. Technology could help us do that. It could help us say, when are people most optimised in the work they do and how do we deploy the right conditions to make that happen? And then we can start to see that that the work-life balance thing can be partly data-led as well because we as individuals will understand how to measure our outputs in the way you just talked about, um, and, and when to put the right time in, and then when to ease off and go and do something else. So we hear a lot about mindfulness, and Jackie mentioned that earlier on, and that's absolutely right. We should start to see how people can regenerate themselves in work, not just deplete their energy. Yeah, we see a lot of that, don't we, with people ending up with um, you know problems, stress levels are through the roof, resilience training has, kept, has crept into corporate life, hasn't it? Like, if we train you how to be more resilient, then maybe you could work harder. And that's the cynicism, isn't it? That's the, what the response might be. But goodness, it's it does absolutely need a radical overhaul, doesn't it? Because we're at breaking point with mental health issues, stress issues. Do you think employers are seeing that and hearing it loudly enough? I think they are, but I think they're frightened of it because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it, so they ignore it. Um, you know, stress or mental health issues. You know, there's, there's so stress gets banded around so much these days, and what does it really mean? But with the mental health issues, I think people are frightened because they don't know what to do, so we'll just ignore it and it might just go away, which is, is not the right option. I think, um, I think you're right. I think we ran some mindfulness sessions uh, at ADP and... I was. I remember at one of them, I was actually sense felt a sense of concern that were we getting into an area where some of the people and these were runners, uh, like there was a presenter, it was in a, in a meeting room, and 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 were we going to cause some upset of people in the audience? Because I, I I remember thinking, hold on a second, if somebody in the room is really suffering with something right now, then we're going to see we're going to we could be in a real difficult situation here and lo and behold somebody got up in tears and walked out of the room and i felt terrible i felt oh my god this wasn't what we were trying to do at all um and i went to the the person came back and i just and i was waiting by the door so i said look are you okay i'm really sorry that wasn't what we intended to do and she said no this is brilliant but I have got some issues and I'm really, really valuing this, but it's causing me to be upset, but I want to get back in there. And so if you don't mind, can I get back in the room, please? Uh, so I think we've got to be brave about this and we've got to do a lot more than we're doing right now. I think it's one in four people uh, that are affected by, mm-hmm. by you know, uh, mental issues. And if that's 25% of our workforce, we can't ignore that. That's going to be having a huge And if impact. you're pushing those people to work harder and longer and not have a good balance, then there's a there's a horrible point there, isn't there, as a tipping point for people? There is. Yeah. I think also the problem it's because you can't see it. Mm. So you don't know no. what the people are suffering. Mm. That's, the, that's the really hard part. Good relationships with colleagues helps, doesn't it? Having a good bonhomie. You feel like people have got your back, you're supported. You want to be in work. Mm-hmm. It definitely does. And I think that if you've got that relationship, um, then when something is getting you down, you've got somebody you can talk to um, and they know and they'll keep an eye out for you um, and they'll take your mind off it and they'll make you laugh and they'll make you a cup of tea. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've been in that position. You know, I've certainly had time, tough times where I've I've I have lent on colleagues at work um, and it's OK for me to show my vulnerable side, um, even still as a leader, uh, as a leader. Um, and I think then that shows them that they can be like that too. Um, and uh, and I've certainly also worked in environments where I wouldn't have felt happy doing that. Um, so where it's been a lot more, um, you know, you, you come in with your with your game face on and don't let it crack. Um, and it's tough. You know it's going to crack at some point it, though, don't you? But normally once you walk out the door, <laughs> yeah. you know, and not whilst you're in the office, uh, you know. And, and that's... For me, that was a very unhealthy environment to work in, um, where that was the expectation was that you were invincible and, you you know, you, you could power on through. Um, whereas where I've worked, you know, I've been very lucky in my last few companies where that hasn't been the case. And I've had I've had friends and I've had colleagues and I've had leaders who have uh, you know, helped me through tough times. How can we foster those relationships then if they're so great and useful? 
I'm, I'm going to refer to a, a report that's done every year about I thought trust. you were going to refer to an app. No. You know, and go, just go on an app I am, and be friends. I am, I am not pure technology. <laughs> um, so the Edelman Trust Barometer comes out every year and it talks about the state of trust in the world, something like 28,000 people surveyed across the world. Some really interesting um, stats from that talk about how we are still in a declining trust in politicians and institutions. And that seems to be amplified with the latest political events on in the US and in Europe and so on. So actually what's come out of this is that work is considered to be a place of safety for the reasons we just talked about. You have colleagues there, it makes sense, and you can almost like make sense of the madness of the world by going to a place where it makes sense for you. So we should look at workplaces more like that. And if that's the case, then there's a strong, uh, I guess, sort of prominence for HR to be creating that place of safety so that people can... um, uh, The work-life balance thing is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because it isn't always work that causes the problems, as we've found. Life can sometimes do that. And work could be a place where you can get some help and get some support in the way we've just described. So we shouldn't ignore that. And we should use that maybe as a front-foot argument as well as the economics to say... Why don't we make this a place of safety for people? And a respite from yeah. loneliness for a lot yeah. of people as yeah. well. Exactly. I think, I think there's. Um, I think the whole area of relationships work uh, work is quite complex, and we have to tread carefully through it. Uh, I met my wife at work, right, and so you know, particularly with uh, things that have happened, you know, recently, um, there are you know a lot of um, a lot of men that are sort of questioning. How, hold on a second. I I don't want to do something that's going to be thought of in the wrong way, and they're getting. You know, you can get paranoid about these things. Uh, how we use humour. You know, there are there are lines that aren't necessarily always clear. That what works in a bar doesn't work at the water work. cooler. And I also personally, I really I work against this because I've seen it in my past of cliques forming, where you know people have a good relationship within a team. And, you know, if you're outside of that clique, you, you, you don't feel that you get to be part of it. In the past, a lot of that was quite male orientated, um, whether it was, you know, people would go off and play golf at the weekend or do something that was excluding. Not just you know, the weekend. Yeah. And yeah. And <laughs> and so I, I think there's um, really an importance to make sure there's just balance and a sense of fairness there. And it's and inclusivity. inclusive. Yeah. yeah. I think there is a cautionary note about um friendships at work as well um that you you don't want people to become overly dependent on their work colleagues um because what happens when that dynamic changes you know if a work colleague leaves or if you leave or someone gets a promotion and you don't change into it or becomes your leader um yeah so there is a word of you know there is a cautionary note i think around that Um, arm's length friendships maybe well yes and you know i suppose particularly i found that working in hr um you know back in earlier on in my career where i did you know have people who i consider to be good friends at work and then i'm sitting in a redundancy meeting with them and i know about their personal lives and i know do you what have any friends at work then, Annabelle, apart from other <laughs> HR people? I just hang out with HR yeah, people. It's yeah, it's safer. Um, yeah, no, it is. It, it is. You do have to be. You do have to be mindful of that. You never know who, you know, what conversations you might have to have with people. Um, and you know, I'm. I think there is a. We would all be cautious about it. When I worked in HR years ago, um, I always used to make sure that I left the Christmas parties early so that everybody could enjoy themselves. Very wise, Jackie. Because they just didn't feel that. Uh, they could relax properly when yeah. HR was still sat there watching. <laughs> well, and I've certainly had situations where, um, you know, after there'd been a few drinks at the parties and they come and they come and they want to have a, a, a conversation chat? with yeah. me yeah. about something. No, yeah. I, uh, and they tell me things that I don't want to know. And, uh, you know, so, yes, I'm the same. I sort of will make myself... Um, scarce i find it a bit sad that we're considered to be the party police when, <laughs> yeah, but we when, are. when in fact hr is often the place where people do come with those life issues mm. and want to have a confidential secret um uh, person-to-person conversation i got loads of that when i was in hr so i felt like john coffee in the green mile just absorbing other people's problems uh, but but i think there is something about a safe space that hr creates and an adult space that hr creates um but i don't like to think of us as the ones who spoil fun have you seen that film office party oh you're gonna love it literally everyone is just having a great time and head of hr's on the stage and she's going h and the audience going r h r and it's just really it's the only film you'll ever get that in okay (laughs) so i encourage anyone listening to go and to watch that it is fantastic and it'll make you feel right at home so um there is a role for hr to play and a role for culture and from the top and a role for individuals to make their boundaries very clear if it's possible um so 
what is normal? Let's finish off just with an idea and a sense in a broad brush kind of a way. I know it varies human to human, company to hump company. But what should we be aiming for? What would we like to see as normal work-life balance? Annabelle. I think normal is probably where you don't have to think about it. Um, where it just happens and you're not actually thinking, have I got this right? Oh, my God, uh, I'm working so hard. Yeah, or... so you just sort of like, you know, where you actually feel like things are just in that natural balance that you, you know, so so you're not losing sleep over it. it sounds very simplistic. Literally and figuratively. Is, yeah, I think it is. It's just that, you know, you, you, can, you actually just, you, it's not something that's on your mind. Okay. So it just feels right. Jeff? I think we are a sum of various parts and we can't, we don't work very well without work. We need to do something so that we feel that we're doing, we're adding to society, that we're playing our role. And I feel that when, I, when I'm with friends, I want to feel that I, uh, I'm a good friend, I'm a good father, I'm a good husband. But also work is something I put a huge amount of effort into and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the fact that I've got to do the job that I'm doing. And I want to be better at it. And I see there's no shame in that. But I want to make sure there's a balance with those other things. So I don't want to be better at work at the expense of not being a good husband or not being a good father. And for me, it's about building those relationships around me so that people can be honest with me if I'm getting that wrong. And also that I reflect on it myself and take that time to think, how is this going? How was the last week for you? How did you do? Did you did you have a good you know, interactions with Annabelle? Did you have any interactions with Annabelle? Should you have done? And the same with friends, kids, family, all of those things. And just taking that time to make sure you reflect on how it's going. Perry, I think normal. I think, I think so. I think building on that, they say it takes a village to raise a child. So I think it takes the whole enterprise to create work-life balance genuinely. So I think this is an open conversation with everybody joining in. If it's that much of an issue that people are either feeling constrained controlled or unable to talk about things then we've got it completely wrong it ought to be the opposite so uh, so people can flag up issues at any given time people can huddle over solutions and create them so that we've got this constant attention to this because i think it changes Uh, but i do think we've hit that danger point so i think now to try and introduce a program is the wrong thing to do but to try and get people into a way of being is probably where i'd want us to be so let's get everybody involved in this. That's what I'd do. Is it difficult with bosses like Jeff who work all the hours God sends and thinks going home at 5.01 is going home early? Uh, oh, um, uh, is that difficult to embed? I think I think only uh, in the case that uh, that Jeff's not open enough to talk to people about why that is how it is. But he is, yeah. I know. So so I think where where people have to fill in the gaps, then it's always on the side of um, some form of I don't know resentment or bias. But if Jeff's how he is and he talks about it very openly, then I think people understand what's going on and actually could see Jeff as potentially somebody who's creating a permission culture to mm. do certain things in a certain way. So I'd say keep doing it and keep talking about it. And Jackie, finally. Uh, me, it's quite simple, really. It's just learn not to feel guilty for going home early, um, you know, and not answering your phone or not checking your emails, you know, just get that, try and get that balance right, but don't feel guilty about it. You'd advocate mindfulness across oh, I, every enterprise, I every organisation. I, I would, and I know, you know, p- places like Google, they've bringing in, they've got mindfulness programmes that they run. Um, there are lots of organisations now that are bringing mindfulness, but yes, I would... I would say that it saved me from uh, going a little bit mad. Well, we all like a little bit of that, don't we? So thank you very much, everyone. It was enlightening. I hope I haven't worked too hard. No? It's good balance. Yeah, nice. Okay. That's it for this episode and for the series, actually. But if you'd like to explore more about ADP's People Unbox project, please visit adp.co.uk slash people unboxed. You'll find all the detailed research and insights we've been talking about, as well as a downloadable white paper on the subject of employee engagement and happiness. So please do have a look around at that. And thank you to my guests, Jeff Phipps, Annabelle Jones, Perry Timms and Jackie Mann. And if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do listen back to the full People Unboxed series on your podcast app. I've been Penny Haslam. Thanks for listening. People Unboxed from ADP. To find out more and to explore the full survey results, visit adp.co.uk slash people unboxed.